Mountain bike racing is fun, challenging and not just for the pros. There are loads of events out there in the UK that us mere mortals can enter and plenty do but nearly all of them are men. So why don't more women enter mountain bike races? What is it that stops us? And what can event organisers and the mountain bike industry do to encourage more women into racing? That's what I'm going to be discussing in today's episode with Tess, an enduro rider from up north. She's basically the Instagram version of the GMBN how-to videos, and I am here for that. But just before we do that, don't forget to head on over to the Girls on Wheels website and subscribe to the newsletter, where you can keep in the loop about upcoming guests and episodes and be in with a chance to get involved. And please give the pod a follow on Instagram and Facebook at Girls on Wheels Podcast. And check out the pod's number one supporter, Shawnee at Shred Lucky Girl. Now, let's get into today's episode. Welcome, Tess. Welcome to the Girls on Wheels podcast. Thank you for joining me this morning. Thanks for having me. It's lovely to meet you. I know. Finally, after years of sort of chatting on Instagram, we're like, face. well, not even face. I hate that we say it's face to face now because it's not, is it? But it's, <laughs> it's the, the normal, like the virtual face to face. Yeah. Okay. To start us off then, um, just for listeners that might not know, you know, know you or follow you, uh, your mid and no makeup on Instagram. Um, I, lo- I love your Instagram. I literally use it as like a learning tool. Um, <laughs> but yeah, how, how for, you know, the first question, how did you get into mountain biking? What, what got you into this world? Um, so I got into mountain biking about seven years ago. So I was 25 at the time. Um, before that, I'd never really done any proper sport. Obviously, I'd been done PE at school and like I went to the gym and I thought I was pretty fit at the time. Um, turned out I definitely wasn't bike fit was something else. Um, but yeah, one of my housemates, um, biked, he did road biking and mountain biking. And then myself and a group of grads from work all and rented mountain bikes, um, at a forest locally and went and had a go. Um, I was awful, <laughs> like really bad, just like scared <laughs> of everything. And I, I, I knew so little about mountain biking that I hadn't even brought a, a change of clothes for afterwards. So we were covered in mud because it was, February I think um so I had to go home in a bin bag <laughs> <laughs> um, but yeah so so yeah that was interesting um but I'd never done anything like that before I didn't even know it was a sport but even though I found the trails really intimidating I I just liked being out and like away from everything and just in the forest with no phone signal um yeah. and also I think a little bit of like being a little bit uncomfortable so like being cold and being a little bit intimidated and just having a go um, I don't think I've got around to buying a bike for at least a year later, just because obviously they are quite expensive and I yeah. didn't know how much I'd like it or not. Um, but yeah, that's, that's kind of where it began. Um, and even though I was intimidated and scared, it was just that being outside and trying something new that I really enjoyed. So that's what got me hooked. Yeah. So seven years later, you're, <laughs> you're right. So tell us a bit what's going on now for you. Like, how did your, I like to call it your mountain bike career. It makes me happy. <laughs> yeah. All professionals, um, getting, yeah. How did, how did all that evolve then from you sort of discovering this sport and being like, oh, I quite like that to a year later buying your first bike to where you are now? Yeah. So, so I still mountain bike for fun. It's a hobby. Um, but it definitely has taken over my life. I think for anyone who mountain bikes, it kind of becomes more of a lifestyle rather than just a pastime because 
yeah. is quite time consuming, but also very addictive. And that's why we're okay with it being time consuming. Um, so I got my first bike and I went for a secondhand hardtail. It was an ex-rental bike and it was £300. So to me, that was a lot of money at the time to spend on a bike. Um, yeah. And I had no idea how much I would use it because I thought I'll probably get to winter and I'll be like, oh, it's cold and I don't want to go out. Um, but actually, I think I don't know when I bought it. I think I bought it in the summer. And then through that winter that followed, I was out all through the winter and I was like, oh, I obviously like really like this thing. Um, <laughs> and I thought that bike was great, <laughs> but it was looking back, it was horrible. <laughs> but, you know, you've got to start somewhere and you don't want to spend yeah. thousands of pounds when you don't know how much you're going to love it. Yeah. Um, so after that first winter, I decided to get my f- first full suspension bike. Again, I went secondhand because just the cost of things. Again, yeah. I thought, you know, I like it, but maybe in a year I'll get bored of it. Um, don't know. And so I went and bought a secondhand uh, full suspension bike. And I literally chose this bike because it was a small, so it was the right size for me. And it's a full suspension. I didn't know anything else about it. Um, yeah. And I went to buy it and that was £1,300. And I remember sitting in the car after I'd looked at it and thinking, do I really want to spend this amount of money on a bike? Like yeah. I'd never spent that amount of money on anything like, apart from my car, which obviously was a bit more. Um, and it was like a really big decision. Um, anyway, I went for it and that bike lasted me three and a half years and it was honestly the best money I'd ever spent. And yeah. I think that's really where things started to snowball and, it, and I just rode every time I was free at the weekend um, and started to really get into it, if you like. Yeah. yeah. What what bike was it, just out of curiosity? Uh, it was a Giant Trance. Um, so, yeah, it was a good bike. I Yeah, I think by the time I got rid of it, I don't think I could even sell it in the end because it was that, it had been hammered. I'd <laughs> taken it everywhere. Yeah. It was really a trail bike um, and I'd changed everything on it. I don't think there was anything original left on the bike by the time I'd finished with it. Um, and even after changing the bearings, the back of the bike was still quite loose. <laughs> um so yeah, I just upgraded things as I needed to, and it done everything by the time I I finished with it. I then I'd, I'd gone from wobbly trail rides to sending drops on like bike parks and stuff on it. So those three and a half years were quite quite a change for me. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And um, what did you find helped you the most? Sort of get get more competent on your bike I was just trying to think of the terminology there yeah feel more confident to be able to go from um well that's fair I can see you now you're just going to yeah Yeah. Um, like what what do you think helped you the most in that period from being brand new to thinking right okay I've I've had my full surf so I'm now gonna go up a level yeah um so I I'm a slow learner I'm very risk averse and I've been brought up very traditionally in some ways in that like be careful don't hurt yourself you know not not that my parents like don't do sport or anything but I think it was always just be careful don't hurt yourself like like, they weren't really into like skiing or any or anything like that I've never done horse riding so I think because I started with that very risk averse perception um doing something like mountain biking can be very intimidating so I know for me it's taken me a long much longer than most people to get to where I am today so for me biggest step change in the early days was getting some coaching and I think I waited two years because I thought oh it's not going to help much because I'm so new to it but actually I should have done that almost straight away really because there were so many things I were doing wrong 
But until you have someone who's qualified and who you trust to tell you and not just a friend who's like, oh, just hang off the back or like, (laughs) just send it. Like, what does that mean? Like for me, I need to know that I've I've got the right technique and I know what I'm doing. So I, I, my wheels stayed very firmly on the ground until I had coaching sessions to teach me how to do drops. Someone saying to me, just send it. I'll just go for it. My brain was just like, no, you're going to hurt yourself. Don't do it. Yeah. Um, And I think we're all different. So people learn in different ways. Some people are a lot more confident and we'll just do stuff like that um but for me it was the coaching that made a really big difference and even if you are confident this coaching will still help you because there's always stuff you can work on at every level yeah I agree I think um like a bit like you I got into it and then I was like oh I, I remember doing a beginner's course but then I thought god I need to I need to learn how to bike before I get any more coaching because I thought yeah. oh god it's you know it was a bit of a, a weird one, a bit like when you want to go to a gym, you think you need to get strong before you go to the gym. Yeah. Um, I was like, I need to get a bit better before I get any coaching. But yeah, it's, there's a difference, isn't there, between the sort of confidence that you feel when you've like know that you've got things to work on and yeah, like put your body in a position. Because um, I guess some people have just got the bravery before the skills and they'll go and do yeah. stuff whereas I think we we sound like we're similar that we want to know we've got the skills before we go for something just so we it's like you're controlling what you can isn't it yeah 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 my body's in that position my feet are right this is how I'm doing it this is the speed like without just going blindly and they're hoping for the best because yeah do you think that um just a question that's come up in my head do you think when you start a sport later in life you tend to be a bit more risk adverse um I think so and something I've noticed as well is what I'm scared of in mountain biking is very different now to what it was when I started so I've been riding for seven years um and when I well, when I started, obviously, I was very scared of everything. But then about three or four years later, I was very good at doing fairly big drops. Where, but I could not, for the life of me, ride anything that was particularly steep. So there's a place up in Scotland called the Tweed Valley that's known for the steep trails. And I was just terrified of them. Like, I, I couldn't commit to going down these really steep trails. Whereas now, I'm less confident on the drops and won't do anything huge. I'll do, like small small to medium drops but nothing massive um, and even then I have to build myself up to them whereas I'm much more comfortable on the steep stuff that years ago I just would have never ever like even considered going down so I think I think you're right yeah I think when you're older when you start when you're older and you've not really done anything like that before I think yeah you, you probably do have that higher level of risk perception because you've not put your body at that risk before or you're not used to risking things like that and yeah. so you're more scared but then I think also what you consider scary or high consequence changes as you get older as well from experience. And just because you could do like a huge drop four years ago and you can't do it now, it's not that you're a worse rider. It's just changed what you're, what you, what you enjoy. But also part of the reason I think I'm not as good at drops now is because I don't really go to bike parks as much as I used to. So I don't come across them as much. So then in my brain, they've become higher risk than they used to be when I did them all the time. Um, whereas I'm doing more steep trail riding so I'm used to it more so it's all very relative and it's all for me training my brain that it's okay to take risk x whether it's jump drop steep because I've done it recently and I know what I'm doing and that can change depending on what I've been riding in the last year or so yeah that's a really good point because um you get used to stuff don't you and then it becomes your normal 
and therefore the way you look at it changes and then yeah you if you don't practice something or you don't do it often that can then rise and I think I know myself personally I don't know about you but I can be a real like bugger to myself and like give myself a hard time for not being able to do something that I've done before like mm-hmm. I can't make any sense of that I'm like but I did that like last year or six months ago why why can't I do it now but thinking about what you said if I haven't ridden that trail for six months and it's the first time I then come back to it it's going to feel like brand new again isn't it and if you're not in that yeah yeah sort of <clears throat> if the circumstances aren't the same and you're not in that flow then it suddenly you're like oh that's that's a feature shit it wasn't a thing yeah, yeah, yeah. Like six months ago but oh shit this has now become a thing in my head um yeah yeah but de- definitely the I think- age thing I I agree with you you sort of you're aware of the consequences a little bit more aren't you um, mm. oh yeah we've got to go to work <laughs> like yeah. if we hurt ourselves on the bike we, we can't go to work whereas like, I imagine you know if you're school age then you're like oh I'm gonna miss school you know it's not as big yeah. a deal and and you know kids kids do heal faster like that's just facts um so yeah. you know it's gonna take our bodies a bit longer to recover and things and for me I think part of the reason I'm so um careful about what I do ride and don't ride is that I know that when I do crash it like massively knocks my confidence for like a long time afterwards whereas other people crash all the time and it doesn't really affect them you know they when they don't hurt themselves obviously if they do hurt themselves and it will um so yeah I think there's that as well like how you how you then deal with crashing as well and then you know if you have a bad reaction like I do in that it knocks my confidence then you're going to be a lot more careful about what you ride whereas if you feel fall off often and it doesn't really affect you then you're not so bothered um so yeah it's kind of like a catch-22 yeah I, I yeah because if when you want to ride and you love it and it's your passion and you want to do it all the time you really don't want to hurt yourself do you because you just oh don't yeah run, off the I am and... a horrible person when I'm injured <laughs> even, <laughs> even, like I just I hate it like not being able to be active even like going for a walk like if I can't go for a walk or get outside or you know do something I'm just a nightmare to live with <laughs> uh, yeah so yeah that's it as well with injury like I just think it's not really worth me doing this drop I'm not really sure about to then risk not being able to ride for three months or something because it just yeah. drives me up the wall um, yeah. So that hundred percent comes into it as well. Yeah, definitely. And I think that that's okay. And we should be um, kinder to ourselves and give ourselves that permission that if we see something and we think I'm not there and I just don't want to risk it, then that's okay. And that yeah, you don't sort of succumb to any peer pressure or the pressure that you put on yourself for oh god, but that must mean that I'm not a good rider anymore. Um, yeah, you know all that crap that goes through your head because actually you just want. You just want to stay on your bike, don't you? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. That, that's the priority, isn't it? Um, okay, cool. Um, oh, just what what inspired you to start the Dino makeup? Oh, okay, yeah. Um, so kind of related to what we've been talking about. Um, because I'm such a slow learner, um, and also because I discovered this sport that I had never even really heard of before. I just wanted to share it really onto the online world and encourage more people to have a go at mountain biking and also if I can do it literally anyone can do it because honestly I'm not a natural it's taken me a long time to get to where I am um so just have a go um and also to encourage everyone to get involved but especially women because we're very underrepresented in the sport at the moment 
definitely got better compared to when I started. Um, when I started, you'd very rarely see other women out, whereas now you pretty much always do. Um, but yeah, when I started, there wasn't any women's kit. It was like literally, I was just wearing like men's small. <laughs> yeah. Um, so yeah, so that's definitely got better as well. There's definitely more kit and stuff for for the female market as well now. So so yeah, really just to spread the word and share share the buzz of the sport. I think it's just such a nice hobby. Um, it's such a sociable hobby for me. Um, and I think that's another thing about getting injured. It's not just getting injured and not being able to do exercise. It's also getting injured and not being able to hang out with your friends. Um, yeah. Obviously, you can still meet them for food and drinks and stuff, but it's not the same as like spending a full day out in the forest or in the mountains or whatever. Um, no. So, so yeah, it's a really sociable accept, a- aspect for me as well. Yeah, it brings so much to your life, doesn't it? Um, yeah. Bet, and and um, just just to share like techniques and stuff as well as stuff I've learned, like just to help other people get into it. And also, you, I, th- I think sometimes on Instagram and social media, you just kind of see the end product, you know, like someone's sending these like crazy jumps and things like that. It's just not relatable for a lot of people, especially if you've never even ridden a bike before um, or a mountain bike. Whereas if you see someone like me, who's more kind of average, <laughs> um, you kind of think, oh, she's doing it why can't I do it um you know she's got there why don't I have a go um so it's just to make it relatable as well and not just be that kind of like unachievable level which I don't think I'll ever be at (laughs) I'm quite happy being average um and it's just to share that like you don't have to be amazing to do it just just enjoy it and that's the most important thing yeah definitely and I think that really comes across on your Instagram because um you don't just show the end bit like you say you know you've had to practice this a hundred times and then you've done it and you're still a bit scared of it or whatever I just I always read your things and watch your videos or your reels and just think yeah it's that's how it is that's like the normal way that you learn something or you tackle something you don't just rock up because we can we can compare and build up all sorts of like scenarios in our head that's not not scenarios but we look at Instagram don't we and then we can think oh okay that person is absolutely amazing on their bike they must have just got their bike um yeah and now they can do that oh my god that must mean that I'm crap because I'm still scared of that and yeah we can really like build this narrative in our head about people's what they're sort of posting and it's not accurate is it yeah yeah. I I think there's a lot of there's a lot more people that are now that are sort of posting the 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 build-up to the yeah yeah. you know the big crescendo and I just think that that is so much more yeah like you say relatable and yeah it gives you that confidence oh there's there's someone she's my age she's a girl she's my mm-hmm. size like because yeah you know got, guys are great but they they're different they're built different aren't they so yeah it's yeah to relate completely but having a girl like oh she works full-time she does this she's doing this as a hobby she's not getting paid mm-hmm. to do it it's not like a 24 7 thing I think it's like yeah I can do it me and um Shawnee were riding somewhere oh, I can't remember where and I was like what did Tess say to do on the on big drops like this? It was one of your reels where you were like, <laughs> like push you push the bars forward and then come over. I, I mean, I'm crying. Yeah, yeah. But I I remembered it and I was yeah. like, I'm I'm tr- going to try and do what Tess was doing in that video. Yeah. Yeah, and then yeah. I finally I finally got it and I was like, oh wow! Yeah. <laughs> like genuinely, I yeah. that's what I did. And we were like, Shawnee was like, oh, I don't think she does this. And then I was like, oh yeah, you got to sort of do that and then yeah I was I was using that technique so oh buzzing yeah I think it's really good 
that was something I learned in a coaching session in April and it's literally taken me until September to really like just do it by muscle memory so yeah. so if you ever do get coaching don't expect magic to happen that day you're really just learning the tools to then get that to be automatic it takes a lot of practice and time yeah. um Repetitive. that's something to remember as well if you've never had coaching before it's uh, a lot of information in one day I'd recommend a half day because honestly by lunchtime I'm like my brain's just like yeah. <laughs> um, and then write notes at the end of the day and then work on them over the next six months and that's where you really like get it ingrained in your brain because because now that technique that you're talking about um for rollable steps and drops like it it's been a, such a lifesaver for the stuff I ride and for me riding trails blind I've always been awful at um but using that technique I can now do it and that made such a big difference when I went on holiday to finale because everything we rode was blind we didn't ride anything twice and if I hadn't learned that technique I would have hated the holiday because I would have been stopping at every single step and like yeah. going oh I, I can do that and then pushing back up to then do it so yeah the, the coaching doesn't all happen on that one day it's then practicing it and and that's just what I want to share as well. Like, I think when I made that post, I was like, this is something I learned in April. It's taken me four months to learn it. This is how you do it. And it's so helpful. Obviously, it's better if you go and get the one-to-one -one coaching yourself. But if I can provide some information that's helpful to people, that's that's just what it's all about for me. Yeah. And then, yeah, because I might not have been doing it perfectly, but I got the essence of what you were saying. And then I was yeah, implementing yeah. that in my own way and felt a difference to what I was riding and felt like more in control so yeah I'm oh, so pleased yeah it's great and I'm not just saying that because you're like you're on the podcast but like genuinely mm -hmm. before yeah. all this was developing I was like what's that um what was that drop technique so <laughs> yeah it's it's really great and great point about coaching that you almost go and then it's the work happens when you've yeah leave. after 100 percent you've, you've yeah. got to practice it and if you don't keep practicing it you'll just forget because it's because it's like a new sport and there's so much to learn you just you have to keep going don't you yeah to just keep and I think that I think that's why mountain biking is like a lifestyle really than just like a hobby that you do every now and then especially for like me because if I did it like once every six months I'd be terrified every time I rode yeah. because I just have to keep practicing everything like over and over again regularly because otherwise you just lose the confidence and the muscle memory and things I think that's why it's such a life-consuming sport I love it and I absolutely am happy with that but I can also understand why for some people it's not quite as much you know they don't see it as attractive things they just don't have the time for it um yeah. so yeah it's quite a time investment but for me it's definitely worth it yeah I, I agree okay um so we were going to chat about uh that post that you did it you just posted it on the 11th of September you'd um <laughs> raced at Ardmore's um yeah. I always feel so uncomfortable saying "ard." Like, <laughs> it's like a Yorkshire thing. I'm like, yeah. <laughs> hard. I'm like, I feel like I'm like, oh, really, really uncomfortable. Like, ard. Oh, I just want to say hard moors, but ard moors. <laughs> um, and you highlighted that although you'd won your category, it didn't feel like a true win because there was only two women racing. Yeah. And you posed the question to your sort of community, like, what can we do to make like get more people at these events so I was looking at that post and you had a lot of response and a lot of comments mm -hmm. um and I don't know if you can remember it uh, yeah but what do you think were the 
the three biggest things that seem to come out of the response to that that can stop women getting into races? Yeah. So, so like I said, like I'm a fairly average rider. I shouldn't be winning races. Like it's lovely, but I shouldn't be winning. Like I'm not that good. Um, the reason I race isn't for the result. It's more to push myself out of my comfort zone a little bit. And I also tend to choose the events where the tracks are on private land. So you can only ride them on the event. So that, that Ardmore's event was one that's like that. Um, so, so yeah, there was loads of really good comments and it was lovely to get the conversation going. And obviously it's, it's a, definitely a problem for women. Like there was so many people that commented and there's a lot of things that put them off racing and getting involved. Um, I think the thing that came up the most was that in the enduro race format, the way it works is you ride around the course and you're timed on certain downhill sections, normally about five. Um, and you don't ride around in categories. You just ride around with your friends, which is lovely. Um, but then that means when you're going down this time section, you could have anyone behind you. So you could have the fastest guy. You could have the fastest woman behind you. You could have someone who's slow. Like you just don't know who's going to be behind you. Um, and the way that it works is there's a gap between you and the next rider. So if yeah. that gap is too small, the person behind you will catch you up and they'll shout to get past because that's what they have to do. And the problem with that is you get shouted at, which isn't very nice. Okay. <laughs> you have to get out of the way, which on a lot of these time stages, the trails are really narrow and there's not really anywhere to get out of the way. You're probably a bit nervous because you're racing. It might be you're not a very experienced racer. Mm. You might be finding the track hard. Um, and then you've messed up your time and you feel like you're feel bad because you've messed up the person behind you's time and that came up time and time again and I've definitely been in that situation um so I think a big like obvious correction for that is to allow more time between riders so that particular yeah. event that I wrote the post about I had a great day because the way that I've I do races is I ride around with my partner and he's a lot faster than me so when we get to the top of the stage he goes behind me and we ask for a longer gap and he knows that he needs to leave about a minute and a half or something between me and him yeah. or a minute or something like that. And the marshals in that event were absolutely fine with that. And that meant I could do every stage knowing that someone wasn't going to ride into the back of me because I was in the way and they were really aggressive trying to get past. And then he didn't catch me up because he knew he'd left enough time between us. Yeah. And everyone's happy, right? You just want to have a fair race. It doesn't really matter what the result is, but if you pay to enter a race, you want to get a fair time for your yeah. performance. Um. But then funnily enough, the week after that event that I posted about, I went to Tweedlove and I entered the amateur category, which is um, meant to be for newer races and people who are new to racing, which is kind of where I see myself. I just want to have a go. Like they had another one that was yeah. pro, which was for more experienced races. And it was funny because the time gaps on that were 20 seconds. And okay. they and we did the same strategy because we do it at all the events we go to where Steve goes behind me and asks for a longer gap and they just wouldn't. They wouldn't allow it. So he caught me up on every single stage. And so that ruined the day for me and it ruined the day for him because I couldn't get a clean run and he couldn't get a clean run. And that the course was great and everything else was well organized. But just that one point meant that because there wasn't a long enough gap between us, we couldn't actually enjoy the day. Um, and unfortunately, it was just the two of us riding around. So if it wasn't him behind me, it would have been another guy who who's going to be way quicker than me anyway, at least yeah. 20 seconds quicker than me. So it was just inevitable that I was going to get caught up. And that ruined the event, basically. So I can completely relate to to why women don't like that. Yeah. And it is really off-putting. <laughs> 
Well, it is on the trails when you're just mooching about your local woods or whatever when someone comes thundering up behind you. Yeah. Let alone in in like a race situation because that's going to get the 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 levels of adrenaline and anxiety and that a bit higher, isn't it? Because you're yeah, yeah. Um. Yeah, and it's I think as women as well, we're very common for us to feel like oh we're in the way oh sorry we're yeah 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 uses for ourselves which I I get annoyed at myself for doing it but then when I'm out there I find myself doing it and then I'm like annoyed that I've gone oh do you want to get past like no actually no stay behind me (laughs) I told you at the top I was going to be slow and to give me time (laughs) what you're doing right behind me yeah sometimes Uh, yeah so so yeah I can understand why people get annoyed when they catch people up on races but equally I think it's an easy fix. Just allow more time between riders. And if you haven't got time to do that, you've signed up too many people. End of. Yeah. Like, you need, if you want, especially for an event that's aimed at, at beginner races, you've got to allow for those bigger time gaps because otherwise people aren't going to enjoy it and they're not going to be encouraged to race again. Um, to be fair to Tweedlove, though, I emailed them after the event and gave them that feedback. So, and they were receptive to it. So, hopefully next year, um, yeah. they'll change that. So, in terms of that point then, where one of the common thread threads were people like worrying that people were going to come up behind them and they were going to get in the way. Um, if there were some race organisers listening to this podcast um, in terms of the, the gaps and what would you say to them to do to encourage more women to enter those races? Um, I think it's, it's simple as just allowing that extra time between riders and, and even just, just saying like even if the women could ask for how much they how much time they need obviously there's going to be a maximum you can't be like oh I need 10 minutes because they've got (laughs) so many people they need to get through but you know I mean I feel like a minute's not unreasonable for especially considering that the women participation is like five percent so it's only really five percent of the riders that are going to be asking for that extra time yeah probably and not even all the women will be asking for because some of them will be really confident and I mean, if you're lucky and you're riding around in a group of friends where you know what everyone's speed is, you can kind of line yourselves up at the start line tactic, tactically. Yeah. Um, so, you know, like you could basically have a ride, ride behind someone who's a similar speed to you and then make sure there's someone at the back who's quicker, who you can trust to not crash into the next person and who's yeah. then leaving that longer gap to kind of like let everyone through. And because... And because I, I got really frustrated after that Tweed Love event. I spoke to one of my friends who's an experienced racer and she wins quite a lot of stuff now. And I said to her, like, what did you do when you started out? And her, her strategy was that, riding around with a group of friends who were a similar speed and making sure that she had someone slower or who had a longer gap behind her. And unfortunately, not everyone can do that. You know, you can't get all of your friends to sign up to every race because they're not cheap. Not everyone's free to do it, blah, blah, blah. Um, but if the organisers just allowed that extra time, it would it would make that possible yeah and then because it's almost like there's lots of places that are putting on stuff for women and trying to encourage Mm -hmm. women in but it makes you question is is that enough or do you then need to go to the finer details of it and not Mm -hmm. only put on you know not only do whatever you need to do to get the girls to sign up but then make sure that the option is there to yeah you can shoot, you can have up to a maximum of a minute and a half gap or just put something like that in the in the like advertising of it yeah so, yeah but also allow the space to let that happen because it's yeah, really yeah, good yeah. really than saying oh we've got a women's race um 
I mean, I, I don't, I haven't ever raced endurance. I don't know the structure of it, but like sort of advertising, oh yeah, you know, we want girls to come in, but they're not doing anything else. Just, yeah. it's almost like you think, oh, I've ticked a box there because I've said, you know, yeah. we, want, we want to encourage women in. But I think it sounds like it needs to be a little bit more than that. Not just. Yeah, yeah. Not a few just people like said lip service. <clears throat> yeah, yeah, definitely. A few people said that down south there's a series called Pedal Hounds. I've never done it myself, but apparently they have a women's wave. So I don't know whether it's at the beginning or end of the start times. It means that all the women are riding around together. So obviously you still get fast women, you get slower women. But the difference between the slowest woman and the fastest woman is going to be diff- like a lot smaller than the slowest woman and fastest man, right? So you've yeah. got a much better chance of, even if the time gap's the same, of not getting caught up. So I thought that was a nice idea. Obviously, that means then you can't ride around in your mixed group of friends if that's how you like to do the race day. But at least you could have the option to take it. If you don't take it, fine. But if you wanted yeah. to be in that women's way, then you could. Um, yeah. So I think I think that definitely helps. And then also when they come out with all the um, – because part of the problem is there aren't enough women involved. So there's like 5% women. So the chances are you're going to have a guy behind you. Um, and they're potentially going to be faster. Generally, they, are, they might be faster. Um, Hey, it's me. Just a cheeky little interruption here to remind you to go over to the website and sign up to the newsletter. Give me a follow on socials at Girls on Wheels podcast. And if you're enjoying this, head over to podchaser.com and leave me a raving review as it helps me so much. And I really appreciate it. Now back to the episode. And I think part of the reason women don't sign up as well was there's just well the advertising events a lot of people said. But also there's not that good representation of women in, in kind of the promo videos and things like that. Yeah. So it's kind of a catch-22 because there's not many women. So there's not many women's clips of women racing. So then there's not many in the in the promo video. So then the next year, not many women sign up because there's not many women in the video. And you kind of end up in this cycle. But the, when I, the first year I did Hard Rock, Max's Tires made a women of Hard Rock, Hard Rock <laughs> uh, video. <laughs> And I was invited along to that and I got given a free entry to race and they gave me some tires, which is lovely. And then they made a video that was just about women racing at our drop, even though it's a mixed event. And I thought that was great. Um, So stuff like that would help because then then at least I imagine loads of women would have seen that and thought, oh, loads of women race at our drop. I can do it. And then the next, I don't, I don't know what this, whether it actually worked, like what the stats changed from one year to the next in terms of women participation. But things like that have got to help right if you can't see people doing it you don't feel encouraged to do it and it's the same with people of color color you don't see very many people of color in mountain bike footage why (laughs) again it's that catch 22 you don't see them out and about so you're not encouraged to do it and I think we need this from all aspects of diversity it's not just women who aren't included enough um and I think that's quite an easy thing to do really for the especially with these companies that have these huge budgets to take videos and stuff just take some time at an event to highlight those people who are in the minority and then share that to the wider public so then hopefully the year after you get that bigger diversity yeah definitely we spoke about that didn't we because I commented on that post um and said about that we're not there was women racing at the Malvins for example but when you Mm -hmm. look at the, the editing of that whole like four days there was like maybe a few seconds of one of uh, Shani Dillon, I think it was on the pump track, and yeah. a flash of another girl at some point. But I, like some of my mates were racing, um, and they they weren't included in the video, and they'd made a big point of 
they really tried with the Morvans. Like they got in touch with um some of my friends like through Trailbirds and Shred Like a Girl mm-hmm. to to find out some ideas about how they could make it better for girls. And and they did, you know, it was a start and they did stuff. But then when you're looking back at the footage that will go out for people to get tickets next year, there's no women on it. And you're like, but, but the thing is as well as I feel yeah yeah and I feel like with these videos like they're trying to make it all like super like racer and like fast focus yeah. and like you know the top athletes which is great but at the end of the day most of these races that we're talking about are amateur events they are yeah. they are tickets for like the average rider and they're, they're events for the average rider so why don't you include some average riders in these videos as well because that's your target audience right there, there are like you know the yeah. top 10 percent of people that sign up to these events that are these super fast amazing people who are probably professional racers as well and go to more professional events as well but the vast majority of people signing up for our drop for example are your weekend warriors so you want them in the video as well yeah you want the cool really fast people but it's also cool to be new and trying something that you've never done before you know and pushing yourself out of the comfort zone and, and I think there's definitely space for these promo videos to include that aspect as well um Definitely. and put it all in the same video <laughs> you don't have to be yeah. like oh this is our cool video and this is our not so cool video yeah. put it all together it's just everyone on bikes and everyone's having a good time and that's only a good thing right and that's putting at the end of the day it's a business right they want to make money out of these events it's all putting money in their pockets all the same amount if anything well, the people who aren't sponsored are probably putting more money in their pockets so well, this is the thing if, isn't it like <laughs> like you say that you know 10 percent, maybe i don't know a, a the proper riders that are racing and all that, the majority of their ticket sales will be normal people, as I, you know, what I mean. Yeah. People, everyday people. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, it's not it's not targeted. It just, like, poses the question, doesn't it? Like, is there an unconscious bias going on with mm. the people that are editing and making these thingies? Are they just like, oh, look, at that was so sick what he did. Let's get that in. That looks like gnarly and fast like because we all love watching these videos yeah yeah, yeah. so people riding really fast right. and you're like yeah that I can do that and um, but you know the reality is then is they're missing people out they're missing like the majority of their participants out of the the footage and I, I do like, think that's intimidating as well to people who haven't done it before they'll watch those videos and think yeah, I can't do that huge step up or that massive gap or that whip or whatever. That event's not for me. Yeah. So I feel like you need you need the full spectrum of people who you want at the event. And if you want the full spectrum of people at the event, you need to represent it in your advertising. A hundred percent, because um, I can't remember where I, I read this quote, but it's like, we cannot be what we cannot see. Yeah. Um, and I think that applies to everything doesn't it but if if you're there thinking oh I might I might go to that race for that event and then you watch everything you google it or whatever you watch everything and all it is is people doing mad stuff you're like you'll tell yourself and if you have if you're a little bit like oh feel a bit of an imposter in this sport anyway yeah we're we're bad for that aren't we we're like oh Mm -hmm. um not everybody but sometimes like that lack of confidence we can watch those videos and think nah I can't do that. I mean, I've done it. I've, yeah. I've signed up for Ard uh, Rock. Have I? Yeah, yeah, Ard Rock. And I've watched some of it. I've looked at some of their photos for their publicity, like coming out of that rock thing, that wall. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I'm already shitting myself about that. I'm like, oh, God. Yeah. But 
I've done it because I know that it will be it will be okay and I can see past mm-hmm. the sort of promo um to be fair I haven't looked at all of their their promo but you know yeah when you watch things you can easily put yourself off and tell yourself oh no 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 you need to you need to wait get a bit better before you enter that race um yeah but yeah it's that's when I was reading through the comments that was one of the things that I picked up that, that people don't the advertising is wrong perhaps in some of the the way that they're portraying the the events but mm-hmm. also if I noticed that a few people were saying they just didn't know where to 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 start like where do they find, yeah where do they find where the races are or the events I think um, there's also not always that much information about like what level of difficulty the the races are as well like I don't think this exists yet but it'd be nice if there was a resource somewhere where it was like if you're a beginner look at these events if you're intermediate look at these events and if you're advanced look at these events like I think people just don't know where they slot in and it's very difficult to then decide what to sign up for as well and it's all you know relative to where you live as well because you know if you live in South England there'll be certain events if you live in Scotland there'll be another you know all the world um so I think that can be difficult as well like not knowing what to what to sign up for I think you rely on friends who have done it before and if none of your friends race then how are you going to even get into it yeah um, so yeah so where do you when in terms of you finding out what races are on what do you go to um I think the best one for the UK is a website called Cientries. um so you can filter by sports they do running and other things as well um, so you can filter by mountain bike and then what discipline of mountain biking as well. So you can, you know, choose XC or Enduro or downhill. And you can even filter by region. And that's really, a really useful one. It doesn't have everything on. So like Ardrock, for example, is not on there, but it has, I'd say, probably like 90% of the mountain bike events in the UK. So that's probably the one I'd recommend. And depending on the race organizer, they they tend to provide a bit of information about difficulty of the trails. The only thing with difficulty of trails and grading is it's very personal. <laughs> yeah. So what's like a what a three out of five to one person might be a five out of five to another or one out of five to a different person. So it can be a bit hit and miss, but hopefully they've provided enough information as well, like all drops are rollable or something like that. Um yeah. so you've got a bit of an idea. But yeah, C entries is a very good website. And how do you that's S I, isn't it? S I Yeah, I'll I'll uh, yeah I can send it to you in a link you can put it in the show notes if you like yeah um, I'll do that yeah um, that's a good one okay so we spoke about two things that um you picked up it was there anything else that sort of jumped out at you that was a common theme for yeah um so there's probably three other things that are worth mentioning so I guess another thing that might kind of affect the time gap thing a little bit is that you do see events now that are kind of a mashup style which I've not done before but I've signed up for my first mashup event next year which I'm looking forward to and what this means is that you still so this is still an enduro style race um you still cycle around a circuit and there's time sections but the difference with the mashup event is that you can do each stage as many times as you like so if you do it one time and you catch someone up or you fall off or you get mechanical you can do it again um, so I think that takes some of the pressure off, which I think will make people less aggressive if they catch people up. And also <laughs> then you'll feel less nervous if, you know, yeah. you've messed it up or something like that, or you just be a bit more relaxed when you're riding. So I think that sounds really fun. And I think that's a really nice way to get into racing because there's not as much pressure on this like one time section. Because enduro is quite hard because you've got five time sections and you only get one one go at each one and that's that's it. Whereas if you can do them again if you wanted to 
then that's yeah. that's great I think so I think, think that's a good idea so I'm excited to try one of them and then the other two things that came up were the cost because I think Ardrock's 100 pounds now a lot of the races are getting really expensive mm. so you have to kind of pick carefully um and then a lot of people also said childcare, and I know we live in a modern world, <laughs> but unfortunately, it does still quite often fall to the woman to look after the kids. If, if you, you know, yeah. especially if both parents are into riding, I would hope that they would split it evenly so they can both do events. But yeah, it does come up, right? Yeah. And you know, that's just the world we live in. Um, so events that provide some sort of childcare or, or kids activities um, was something that came, people came up with as well. Yeah, how would that? In reality, then, how would that work? Um, yeah, this is what I wasn't so sure about because <laughs> I haven't got kids. Um, but yeah. some people would say, you know, like with, whether it'd be like a crash or somewhere where they could look after your kids. I feel like that's great in principle, but I also don't know how the organisers would organise that because I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, I was just thinking, like, is that, is that down to the organisers to do that? Like, is mm-hmm. that... Where does that sit? Sort of like a bit of a rhetorical yeah. question there. Like, yeah, yeah, yeah. How far do we go? Do we put the onus on, say, Ard Rock to provide childcare facilities for potential participants? Um, or is that just too much because they're already mm. organising a mountain bike event and they've got yeah, yeah, yeah. Else to sort of sort out? And it, it, it's interesting, nice... really, what, what the thoughts are on that because... Yeah, I, yeah. I think it's quite complicated that. And mm. yeah, I, th- I think it's quite a lot for people to organise. But for, for things like Ardrock and some of the other events is that they do sometimes have events on both the Saturday and the Sunday. And like Tweed Love was the same as well, actually. So some of our friends were up for that. And the mum did the race on the Saturday while the dad looked after their daughter. And then on the Sunday, the dad did the race and the mum looked after the daughter. And okay. in the event village, they had like kids movies on and stuff like that. So so even though the mum was there to look after the child, um, there was also stuff to keep the kids entertained. So I, th- I thought that was a really nice way of doing it. And it's then not an absolute nightmare for the organisers to sort, but also makes it family friendly. So I thought that was quite a nice solution. Um, yeah. But yeah, as I, say, I haven't got balanced. kids, so it's hard for me to say. No, <laughs> I'm going to um, hopefully you know find someone that's in that position where they do have children and they want to race and like get their perspective on it because it is yeah yourself to Mm -hmm. completely understand that and sort of see well where where do you draw the line is it the responsibility Mm -hmm. of the um like event organizer or is that just I'm just going to say it one of those things that you've you know you've you're a parent you've chosen that so therefore within your own networks that you would just sort childcare, and that's just what you do because that's what other people do for you know when they want to do something hopefully people aren't screaming at the radio <laughs> now going oh, you haven't got a clue you haven't got kids <laughs> I don't have a clue but yeah it's just it's yeah. a bit rhetorical really I, I'm really interested to speak to someone that can give that perspective yeah that that'd be really interesting it's for yeah, sure you, you don't know do you if you haven't been in it and maybe there's like a like tweed love having that balance of having kids entertainment on so there's something to for them to yeah do. yeah I mean even um, like a bouncy castle like I feel like for a big event like that I don't well I don't know how much it costs to hire a bouncy castle I know it's not cheap but I know it's not like the earth that keeps kids entertained for hours like as long as their parents are there to keep an eye on them then yeah yeah be, I, yeah 
I just, there's definitely yeah. things that can be done um yeah yeah and I guess I'm just thinking out loud here that if if there isn't that many women that say sign up for the races then if they were if I was an event organizer I'd be like right where am I gonna what have I got to spend my money on oh yeah it'd be nice to get more women in so maybe we could Mm -hmm. think about a bouncy castle or, or some sort of child care thing uh but we only have four women sign up last year so yeah allocate x amount of money to that when actually only had four so it's like what comes first it's that interesting question isn't it like what what comes that catch 22 isn't it you've got to encourage people but you want to spend money to encourage people and you might have a year or two where you've spent that extra money you don't see it pay off but then it pays off on the third year but do you actually do it again on the third year and go oh well we tried and it didn't work um so yeah it's not easy no it's really not it's it's complicated isn't it um yeah definitely but yeah, I noticed in your the responses as well, there was the emphasis on um like the women only sessions could potentially mm-hmm. make a difference. Uh fun yeah, yeah, for sure. Funjoros, so there's a like a for people that don't know or don't have the confidence to go forward for a race, it's almost like they're oh well I can enter that because that's like a that's it an entry level and I won't get in people's way and it won't be too mm-hmm. too bad. But I mean, I don't know what the logistics are around adding like a a funjuro stage to or an event. You can even you can even use the same course and just cut down the number of stages. So there's always okay. going to be harder stages and, and easier ones. So you can always do a trim down event where it's three stages instead of five, and then you split the start time so that the people doing the shorter race get through those short those easier trails before the people who are doing the full route get round. So it doesn't even okay. have to be women specific. You can just have something that's beginner friendly. Um, but then you've just cut out some of the stages. So you don't worry as much about fitness and you're also not doing the hardest stages that are most intimidating, for example. So that's yeah. an option as well. Yeah. I think all these things would make a make a difference really, because then people could feel like there was a a way to race without like too much pressure and too mm-hmm. much like oh I need to get fitter or because I, I saw in the comments a lot of um, people were saying when I'm fitter or yeah better then I'll do it but yeah when will that you know when will is that us comparing ourselves to someone mm-hmm. is that us is that us watching the promo video and going oh god I'm not that good or yeah yeah I do it in that time and then we sort of make that comparison oh no no I'll wait I'll wait I'll just get a bit better so it's all very it's all uh in I can't think of the word but intertwined yes that's it so <laughs> everything needs to sort of fit into place for it to all work really. yeah how we when we're researching being able to research where things are that's like the start point isn't it I want to enter an Mm -hmm. enduro race and then you get like a list of things with descriptions of what they are so you can sort of gauge oh I think I could do that one um I definitely won't do that one like and then when you're looking at it and you're reading the information and reading like the content to get you in that that's um representative of everybody and sort Mm -hmm. of covers but it makes you think, oh, I can do that because look, there's another girl doing that. And oh, if I have a look on her Instagram, she's she's an everyday rider. She's normal, like yeah. me, I think. Um, and then having it accessible to people 
yeah, I don't know what you could do about the cost. Definitely. Really, but... Oh, yeah, I know. Yeah. I mean, things are getting more expensive, but I guess you just have to be selective about which ones you choose. So I think there was one year, you know, I think 2018, I did eight events, <laughs> which wow. I don't even know how much that came to, but they were cheaper then. Whereas now I think I only sign up to like two or three a year just because it yeah. gets too expensive. Um, but yeah. there's still great events. And I think it is nice to compete, even if you're not going to be getting on the podium because it pushes yourself. So for example, at Ardmore's on the, the, on the, so it was that weekend was the first weekend where there was a lot of mud. We've had such a dry summer here in the UK and it was really muddy that weekend. And I love riding in the mud, but there was this one stage that, it was like peanut butter, honestly. And it was like the hardest, most technical stage. So it was pretty steep, peanut butter. Your tires were just clogged, almost to the point where they won't turn anymore because they're so muddy. And then there was this like steep chute with like off camber rocks in it. And then you had to get in between this like narrow fence posts. <laughs> it was horrendous. Oh and um, yeah, so in practice, I was like, nah, I'm going to die and someone's going to smash into the back of me and I'm going to die. <laughs> um, so I was like, I'm not doing this. And I was like, well, I'll do the race, but I'll just miss that stage. I'll get a do not finish, did not finish, but at least I've done the race or done what mm. I can. I'd, it's not worth the risk for me personally to, to do that. Um, but then on race day, it had dry because uh, you can't actually practice the stage, obviously on race day, you just go and do it. And people had done it and were coming back saying it was like way drier than the day before and I was like how much dry I was like like 80% dry like 100 times better like <laughs> and they were like yeah 100 times better blah, blah, blah. and I was like oh god I'm just gonna do it because I didn't want to get did not finish I was like I'll just I'll just try it and then if I can't do it I'll just get off the side of the track somehow and then just accept that I'm gonna have a terrible time and just like as in like time for that stage um and just get down there safely um anyway so I did it and I didn't dab. I rode the whole thing and I was going down it going, I've done it. I've done it. I've done it. And it was like the best thing ever. So regardless of what result I'd got that day, I was just buzzing to have pushed myself out of my comfort zone yeah. and done that stage blind. Well, it wasn't completely blind because I'd ridden it, some of it the day before and then decided it wasn't for me. But then I'd done it on race day, having previously decided I wasn't going to do it. And that in itself was a big achievement for me. And that mattered more than where I came in the results page. So I yeah. think there's that aspect of racing as well that's really good. It's just that little bit of pressure where on a normal ride, you would just be like, nah, it doesn't matter, I'll just do it next time. Yeah. But because it's an event, you're like, okay, I'll do it. It's all the balance though, obviously. Don't do not do not do anything really silly and really hurt yourself. But have that little push to just do something a bit harder than what you'd normally make yourself do. Yeah, get yourself out of that comfort zone. Definitely. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um. I was going to ask you a question then, like if you were to talk to some of the listeners that perhaps have never raced, like what what is it about racing? Like why do you enter races? What would you say to them? Like if you were to describe why you did it in a bid to sort of say to encourage them to do it themselves. Yeah. Um, for me, it's to I pick events where I don't normally ride. Maybe for your first race, it's nice to do one on trails that you know, just so you just you haven't got too many new things going on at once it's not new trails and new experience and new race and blah blah blah. but once you've done a couple I think it's nice to go to places you wouldn't normally go especially pick the events where you can't ride the tracks outside of the event because it's new and it's exciting and also the tracks tend to be in pretty good condition because they don't get hammered all year round um 
and then yeah I think just pushing yourself out the comfort zone just putting a little bit of pressure on yourself and I think you learn so much from races as well I think you realize most of the time you're better than you think you are and regardless of the result um, you learn something and you probably ride a bit further and a bit more elevation than you usually would as well so you actually realize you're fitter than you think you are so I think as long as you go in with a positive mindset, if this is for the experience, it's not about the result. It doesn't matter if all of my friends beat me and I'm like five minutes slower or whatever. You just take those personal wins and then you could do the same event a year later and provided the riding conditions are similar. So if it was wet, it's wet again. Or if it's dry, it's dry again. You can then look at your own personal times on those stages and see how you've improved. Again, it doesn't matter what anyone else is doing. Just look at yourself. So I think with Ardmores, because it's like half an hour from where I live, um, I've done it several years in a row. And there were two years where the conditions were like super similar. And I'd improved by over 30 seconds on every single stage by the next year. So for me, like that's a big improvement. I think the stages are like five minutes long. So that's quite a big chunk of time out um, on all of them. So I was just happy with that. It didn't matter that I'd come a lower position than the year before because you can't choose who you're racing against. That's just who signed up. But if you just look at it on that context of how you've progressed, I think it can be really powerful. Yeah. It's making me, Um, I'm thinking, I wanted to enter like a series next year just so I could take part and push myself a bit, I guess. And with a bit of just completing it, not putting too much pressure on myself, not expecting like massive things, but just to put myself in those conditions really. Um, mm-hmm. like you say a little bit of tiny bit of good pressure not like yeah where you're so anxious that you want to be sick pressure yeah 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 yeah. I think it's um it's something that I've really wanted to do like but I've always sort of put it off and then I've had to have a little break and all that malarkey but yeah, yeah I think next year 2023 I'm gonna find a series um and just give it a go and yeah so, definitely so if yeah that'd be good. someone was in my position as well and they were like right 2023 I'm gonna have a crack at an enduro <laughs> series what would you say in your experience I know obviously you haven't been around the whole of the UK mm-hmm. what would be a good series for them to start with oh I haven't actually done any series myself <laughs> so I'm not sure I've, I've done more like odd events but I've heard I've heard a lot of people like the pedal hounds series down okay. south um, but I've never done it um and then up north, the one that's popular is the PMBA. So that's North England. Yeah. Um, and then in Scotland, I think there's the Scottish Enduro Series. Um, one thing I would say, though, is if you're used to English races, Scottish races are like a big step up, <laughs> like a lot harder. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. So just be aware of that. I mean, if you already ride in Scotland, you know what to expect, then fine. But if you've ridden, done races in the UK, sorry, in England, and then you go race in Scotland, they are quite a bit harder uh, which is fine if that's what you're up for but just yeah maybe if you're new to racing you've never ridden in Scotland don't sign up for like Scottish <laughs> races because they are really hard <laughs> like the distance is longer the tracks are harder like yeah it's just a lot yeah it's proper mountains <laughs> um, up there isn't it yeah yeah it. so, so yeah I uh I signed up for Valleluia when I definitely was not ready for Valleluia and <laughs> I did it but it was painful <laughs> um, so yeah yeah oh that's a great tip cool um, we spoke about so much interesting stuff there with the races and um, hopefully if race organizers listen to this they can pick some good points up um yeah hopefully 
Yeah. Okay. So just to finish off, I've just got a few quick fire questions. Um, mm-hmm. That are a little, some are a little bit silly. But, okay. Okay. <laughs> uh, okay. So, do you have a mountain bike crush, and who are they? <laughs> oh, like a person? Yes. Um. I think it has to be Rachel Atherton. It was Rachel Atherton before, but now she's not really racing so much. But I think she's just amazing. Like, yeah. even though she's not racing at the moment, I think she's just so down to earth and lovely. And just her achievements are just unbelievable. Like, aren't they? yeah, if I met her, I just wouldn't know what to say, though. I'd be too yeah. starstruck. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. She's just amazing. Yeah. I've so inspiring. Yeah. I've been to Dovey a few times and I've been like, I'm going to see Rachel. And then I'm like, I don't know why I'm thinking this because I'll just be a little like, I'd be too starstruck and like, oh no, I'm too yeah. I'm not going to say hello. But yeah, she's, um, she is awesome. Okay. Where's yeah. your favourite place to ride ever? Oh, I've, I think previously I would have said Scotland, but we've just been on holiday to Finale and it was just out of this world. Like the best place ever. It was the tracks. They're not they're not as steep as what I've ridden in Scotland, but they're just like super rocky and just like so well built, like amazing level of challenging and like just amazing. And we had brilliant guides um, and just the location's fantastic as well. Like Finale Ligur is on the coast, on the Mediterranean coast. So we went in October time. So you could ride all day and then go for a swim in the sea because oh. it was warm enough. And then you could go get ice cream. It was just the dream. So yeah, Finale Ligur, definitely. And that's in Italy, right? Yeah, 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 yeah. So good, amazing. That's on my that's on my twenty twenty three list. Yeah, um, you've got to go. It's just the best. <laughs> wait, I need to win the lottery as well. Um, I know. <laughs> okay, would you ever get a mountain bike tattoo, or have you already got one? Um, I kind of have, but kind of haven't. So it's more like symbolic. Um, so I've got two magpies on my thigh, and that's to symbolise two for joy. Um, and it's also on my thigh because obviously you need your legs to pedal pretty hard to get up those hills. So that was kind of inspired by mountain biking, but obviously it's not like a bike. Um, so I'm not yeah. sure that counts, but yeah. Oh, so yeah, yeah, I've it got. does. There's a, there's a link to it. So you are yeah, yeah. a diehard mountain biker. So. <laughs> definitely. <laughs> if you could wave a wand and get like one skill or trick like mm-hmm. in your repertoire, what would it be? Uh, a whip, like good jump whip because I am rubbish at jumping mainly because I don't practice and I shouldn't say I'm rubbish at it I should say I need to work on it because it's much yeah. more positive but I they, we don't really have many jumps near us um but I'd love to be better at jumping and if I could do a whip as well that would be amazing oh, the dream <laughs> yeah just, and, and, and if there was like a bunch of like people by the side of the trail and you just rocked up and you're, you're like really unassuming and they're like Ooh, yeah you're very good and then you just send something and like do a massive massive whip oh god that yeah. would just be the dream and then they're like oh my god um, my, my other yeah. half's like that annoyingly he like whenever he does jumps everyone's like oh and I'm like oh. yeah <laughs> yeah he's, he's got those bm it's because he did bmxing when he was I think he started yeah. when he was like 12 and it just teaches you such good bike handling skills so he does all these crazy huge jumps I'd love to be able to do that I always think like when people do tricks on jumps I can't even clear them. I feel like I've got no. enough time to do anything other yeah, than yeah, yeah. hold on for dear life. How do you then take your feet off pedals and like take your hands God off? No. And, oh, it's madness, isn't it? <laughs> and like, um, how would you go from just like clearing a jump to then being like, oh, I'm just going to 
do a Sui no Honda? Like, I don't understand. Like, how oh, do you? Yeah. I don't understand. I don't. And I don't think I ever will. I always say in another life, because I think that ain't going to happen in my lifetime. Because I'd just be happy too to scared. consistently clear them. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. Just let me clear that tiny table. That'll be fine. Okay. Um, right. So you're an enjoyer racer. So this question's interesting. Would you wear, mm-hmm. do you wear pants? Um, like under your padded shorts or not no god no what's the point in having padded shorts <laughs> loads of people do this I don't understand like uh, yeah do you know Just... what though I didn't I didn't have chamois um shorts for the first two years of riding because I was adamant that they wouldn't make a difference and I got some and I was like oh my god <laughs> why didn't I get these like yeah. two years ago so invest in them and invest in a good pair not the cheap ones like get a proper good pair because it's just it's worth yeah, it they, they yeah they save save your life literally don't they but yeah I, you, but... <laughs> pant, pants and like padded shorts like that's just like too much and then your trousers or shorts on top like I don't oh, know I just think that's, that's <laughs> I know people do it and I've got friends that do it and that's fine if that's like, what they want to do but for me the comfort is just use the chamois for what it's for <laughs> yeah so when you're filming or watching someone on the trails what's your go-to like heckle when they do something good uh I think oh I don't know I think I just go woohoo yeah <laughs> or something like that <laughs> you do or, it in your normal yeah. voice or does it yeah does yeah, yeah. Voice come out yeah because I yeah. um a few people I know we we seem to adopt this like persona and I'll go yeah <laughs> like really deeply or the opposite end of the scale and squeak but yeah you just sort of say something random and then you I always ruin videos because I've yeah, yeah. I'm excited that I make some weird noise or comment, and then I'm like, sorry. <laughs> if if someone like does something that they've been struggling with, and they do it, I'm like so buzzing for them, I almost cry. Like my eyes start welling up. I'm like one of those people which just like very emotional. <laughs> and like yeah. if someone else is happy with what they've done, I get really happy, and then I like just get like teary, and I'm just like, I'm so happy for you. <laughs> yeah, so, I love yeah. that about. I love that the the buzz you share for other people. It's just it feels like you've achieved something as well, doesn't it? so nice um, to see people smashing their goals as well like just love it yeah even if they're yeah no matter what they are that accomplishment you're just like yes and then yeah like tiny's back on her bike and I'm just like I'm so happy for her like I know yeah <laughs> I know I'm, I'm loving seeing all her posts I'm like yay good for you yeah okay uh if you had one tip for someone new in the sport just anything mm-hmm um, well, we've talked about coaching. We talked about chamois. I think the other thing would be, well, helmet. I hope they've got a good helmet. But if they have, the next thing is get some proper biking shoes because I was riding in DCs and vans for like two years and then I got some proper mountain bike flat pedal shoes and they are 100% worth the £80, which seems ridiculous. Then you get them and you're like, oh, my feet stay on the pedals. <laughs> um, yeah. So they're worth investing in as well. Yeah, great Definitely. Tip. Okay, and as a final thing, so I always refer to myself as a squid on the bike. I think I saw mm-hmm. that expression from Becky Skelly, I think it was, just meaning mm-hmm. that I wobble around. And if you imagine a squid trying to ride a bike, that's sometimes how I can be. Um, yeah. So just as something really silly, what can you give me your best, like, squid impression, like noise? And if you <laughs> wanted to, you could do action. No one will see the action because it's <laughs> audio. But if a squid was to make a noise, what do you think that noise would be? <laughs> Um, 
<laughs> I don't know. It's probably more me doing that stage at Ardmore's going, oh, my God, I've done it. I've done it. I've got it. Because <laughs> like, I just didn't expect to be able to ride it. And I feel like a squid would be very happy about conquering a conquering an obstacle yeah. or something like that. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> that was a good no impression. That, that's how I imagine it would be, something like yeah. that. Because they're like arms in the air. But... Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Okay, cool. Well, thank you so much, Tess, for taking the time to chat on the podcast and talk about all this good stuff around racing. I really appreciate it. Oh, it's been lovely and so nice to talk to you. And we'll have to get a ride in in the new year. I've been trying to organise yeah. something with Shawnee as well. Um, I was going to be yeah. down south at Christmas, but not anymore. Um, but oh, yeah, we'll okay. definitely get something sorted next year. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of Girls on Wheels. If you enjoyed it, please head over to podchaser.com and leave me a review. And don't forget to tell all your mates. If you've got any comments or want to get in touch, head over to my socials and drop me a message as I love hearing from you guys. I hope that by listening to this today, it's made you want to get out and ride your bike.